When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the cast, everybody. Kick us off, Ben. What do we Yeah, got? it's been a big week for psychedelics. Big two weeks. Mm. So I followed psychedelic news. Last I heard, because I, I invested in maps, they gave a presentation a year ago that said psychedelics would be legalized in about five years from today. The Biden administration made an update that said that they are anticipating the FDA approval of MDMA for PTSD and psilocybin for depression within 24 months. So they're shaped a year. Three years. Well, said it was two years ago. It was five. No, one year ago, a one. it was six years. Five oh, years from today. So it was, I thought damn. it was going to be 2029, last I saw. And now it's going to be 2024. Wow. That's great. It's right around the corner. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's crazy. Now, they're still doing certain use cases, MDMA-specific or PTSD, psilocybin for depression. But I think this means that anybody who gets diagnosed with depression can get access to psilocybin mm-hmm. two years from now. And it's going to be like, I, I think this needs to be a, a bit cautious, but it's going to be like having a service animal on, an, on a plane, which is as soon as you could get emotional support animal, doctors started writing scripts for people to bring their emotional support animals. Well, I think there's going to be a lot more PTSD and depression diagnoses if this is how you can treat it. Yeah, but I also think accurately so. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I think pe- people used to think PTSD was from going to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. It's like if your dad hit your mom in front of you, you might have PTSD. Yeah, yeah. And depression is very widespread. And I think mm-hmm. that there's a lot of people who diagnose or not. Like I, I think this will help a ton of people. Sure. So it's pretty awesome. We talked about the term subclinical, which I which I love because I'm like, yeah, everybody's got some subclinical depression or PTSD. Mm-hmm. And the question is, you know, when does it cross a threshold that you can get a script or a, not a script, I guess, a clearance? I don't even know how they're going to do it. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I think it's probably going to be from a, the same type of therapist who could prescribe an SSRI, mm-hmm. I imagine. It. We'll now have this as a, an arrow in their quiver. Yeah. That's a huge group of people. I mean, anybody who can talk to a therapist about PTSD or depression, I think whoever wants help will be able to get it, which is a pretty incredible win yeah. for, for the psychedelic field. You know, so, that, so that's two years, according to Biden. So that's awesome. Also, <laughs> uh, the DEA had plans to schedule several DMT analogs as Schedule One drugs, and there was just massive opposition, and so they just stopped. So the DEA, who used to be... I mean, that's, that's the group that basically made MDMA illegal way back in the day based on the misinformation that it was meth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it seems like they're losing their ability to just schedule whatever they want. So that's cool. And then again, Rand Paul and another person passed, or not passed, put in a bipartisan bill that Congress is going to vote on to force the DA to stop barring psilocybin from terminally ill cancer patients. So right now, if you're dying, if you're terminally ill, you can get access to treatments before they're officially approved. Okay. 
So that could be an experimental surgery to maybe save your life. It could also just be an experimental medicine or procedure mm -hmm. to help you with your pain. So a lot of people who have terminal cancer are terrified of dying. And yeah. they've done studies and psilocybin helps tremendously with these people losing that anxiety and being able to more peacefully approach the end. Mm -hmm. It is already FDA approved as a breakthrough therapy. It should be allowed. But the DEA had said, because this is a schedule one drug, we're basically making a special case where you can't get it, even if you're dying. And so a couple of people in Congress said that's stupid. And they're working on a bill right now to make it so that if you're dying, you get access to the stuff, wow. even if it's a schedule one drug. So wow. pretty, pretty big week for the legalization of psychedelics. Yeah. That's crazy. I wonder how the, I, I wish I had something intelligent to say, but it is genuinely a question. How being, if there was a nation where governmentally it was supported and culturally there's this idea that, hey, a wider group of people than we originally thought have PTSD and depression that could be effectively treated with these experiences. Mm -hmm. I wonder that ha how that impacts uh, macroeconomics or likelihood, yeah. all of those sorts of things as you're, as an increasing amount of your population uh, is getting healthier mentally. Yeah, well, the cynicism for why this stuff, why there was initially a war on drugs. Now, some drugs are different than others, right? There are some drugs that are very uh, detrimental to people's health and to society, but there there is a hypothesis, at least, that if people do psychedelics, let's say three or four times a year, mm -hmm in a therapeutic way, it's not going to destroy their life. It's not going to make them unable to do their job. What it's going to make them is have empathy to other people, which makes them less likely to want to go to war. Mm -hmm. It's the classic Muhammad Ali. Why would I go to Vietnam to kill those people? They've never done anything bad to me. Mm -hmm. And it makes you a worse consumer because you start to appreciate sitting in the sun more than your luxury goods. Mm -hmm. And so the the cynical hypothesis is that that's why, in addition to trying to get rid of, let's say, heroin, they said, oh, let's get rid of all these psychedelics because they're going to make people not want to fight for us and not want to buy stuff. Mm -hmm. And as a nation, if you're leading the nation, you want an army and you want a bunch of yeah, yeah. GDP and, and consumerism. So It also, yeah, worse producers. I've seen a lot of people quit their jobs or move into something else. There was a guy who was a becoming a high-powered lawyer, was, you know, young 30s, partner track, like, fast. He was going to be one of the earlier ones. He was a guy that we went to ayahuasca with a couple of times and he stopped and became like a trance DJ. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, just yeah. like, well, good news on that one. The nation has already had that happen. <laughs> no one wants to work and no one wants to do anything that's not fun. So yeah. I don't think psychedelics can make that worse. He was tightly wound though. He was not going to bail off yeah. that train. Uh, and it took him a while too. It was, it was I saw him on a number of journeys, like get close to it and then not and then finally you made the plunge yeah, yeah i wonder i wonder if that makes you less competitive in the world and then uh you know you get taken over by the authoritarian well this was the hippies right i mean that just listen i'm not going to romanticize it i'm sure there's downsides to every culture and subculture but largely hanging out living in vans just not buying stuff and not working just not producing anything and not consuming anything mm -hmm. is not the behavior of the world's number one superpowers populace. Yeah. And so if you're, as a government, more interested in retaining your number one position than you are in the fulfillment and happiness of your citizens, it's it's not great to have a bunch yeah. of people that just have their own garden on a small plot of land and keep to themselves and don't want to fight anyone or buy anything. It does seem like one of the things that has to happen for a nation to 
remain competitive while a large portion of his population is very empathetic, wants to make art, doesn't mm-hmm. want to like slog or a, a growing percentage is that you have to like with technology raise the floor of poverty and scarcity because I, I imagine as a, as a slice of the pie chart, entertainment and the number of people doing things in entertainment or in leisure has grown as mm-hmm. technology has improved. It used mm-hmm. to be one minstrel in, in the court and everyone else was making food and now it's a huge section of the population and you've got, you know, Netflix is yeah, a yeah. giant freaking company that just entertains people. So I guess, yeah, if you can get the world to have a large enough group of people that are making art, music, etc., then it's then you can become a psychedelic superpower yeah. and just like dominate the artistic field. Not even dominate. And it wouldn't even be dominant. It would just be creating a lot of artistic output. Yeah. Well, Elon Musk is already on record saying this. If you believe that Elon Musk is a good futurist and a good predictor of what's to come, he says China is already just a matter of time. If you all you look at is the normal metrics of population and output per person and that sort of thing, he says the only chance the US has is innovation already. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't have a massive psychedelic cultural shift the only way we keep our number one is if we are inventing new technologies that do make it so that per capita we can output more despite the fact that people don't want to work as hard and that we have less people so yeah the u.s's time in the sun as number one basically rests on the ability to to create new technology seems like we need at least yeah at least one more generation of scientists engineers and uh traditionally like productivity uh, increasing labor force yeah. <laughs> in order to bridge the gap because we can't all be trance djs and dnd players yet i don't think i don't I, think <laughs> i wonder if psychedelics does hurt scientific innovation because i do imagine if you are an engineer and you start taking this stuff it may help you be more creative mm-hmm. and i think a lot of times the big tech breakthroughs happen on accident or without an immediate commercial use it's just someone playing with magnets yeah so that's there's there's i think uh god what book was it it might have been stealing fire it might have been but there's there's people that have that hypothesis that when you start researching cancer treatments and you narrowly focus on how do we cure cancer it's tough to do but when you're like playing with magnets like maxwell did or just like you leave a petri dish out and you find penicillin that's where some of the largest scientific breakthroughs occur from people that are not looking for practical application, but are instead exploring just things that they find personally fascinating. Yeah. I think psychedelic use increasing probably decreases the amount of grinding, so to speak, the hustle grind work really hard if your pursuit is wealth accumulation or prestige. But I wonder if it does curb innovation because I think there will be people who just like chemistry and like Mm -hmm. physics and like electrical engineering and they will i think continue to just want to explore and i think that exploration can sometimes accidentally lead to big useful breakthroughs i think very likely i think it depends on how you define innovation it i would bet that if you had a broader definition of innovation it increases innovation except they're not all marketable innovations Mm -hmm. like I don't know, you're innovating in the way that you connect with people or you're innovating in the way that you paint or something. And that just doesn't necessarily marketable. Um, so yeah, I don't know whether a society of people that are trying to create products to sell to other people in order to get a lot of money is more productively innovative or if a group of people that are you know, just open-minded and artistic or 
just creating stuff out of the sheer joy of it are more effective. We'll find out soon. Hopefully. Yeah. I look forward to watching that movie. Yeah. Um, one thing I was just going to say, this is a hard tangent, but I just want to say thank you to everyone who watched our D&D show and oh, gave us yeah. feedback. You guys crushed our view count expectation. Yeah. We said about 200 views was the was the prediction. You yeah. guys have crushed that. Yes, so. that was very helpful. Appreciate the support. We, uh, the feedback is so helpful. Like the what I learned is that the audience's perception roughly tracks my own, which is a very, very good thing because it means that as I'm going through the editing and as I'm playing and like if I'm like, I feel bored here or this isn't as fun or like, ah, this feels slow in the editing process, uh, that I'm probably right for a large portion of the audience, <laughs> because which sometimes people, there's that's a mismatch people said. There. Yes, yes. I, I was like, the feedback I got was almost all in line. Some of it was like with a tinge of, I liked this. Some of it was, was a tinge of, it's not for me, but I can't think of a piece of feedback where I was like, I disagree with this. Mm. Um, so it was super, super helpful. Cool. And uh, yeah, we appreciate it. This is another thing that I wanted to... Um, Add, we are shooting our season two soon, even before we're anywhere near done season one. That's coming up, and it's going to help us a lot. So thank you, everybody. The other thing I was thinking, as anybody does once they start a business, is how do we monetize the shit out of this with NFTs? (laughs) (laughs) No, kidding. (laughs) Um, No, I know that what I was thinking is that a lot of people at this point do NFTs, and I was like, what would an NFT project look like if it wasn't a rug pull? If it was all the things that people promise web three is going to be which is like audience empowered not scammy but really hasn't panned out a lot <laughs> what would that look like because i actually think that unlike charisma on command this is the type of project where it's super small right now uh, 1600 people watch it mostly because they appreciate our podcast not because it's growing on its own but if in several years we got better we improved it we made the characters some sort of uh thing that people wanted to follow and care about there would be a community and potentially a collectible market. In the past, that collectible market might look like Han Solo action figures and, you know, Boba Fett in its case, and very likely in the future, it's going to be some sort of NFT. You know, it's going to be some sort of digital good that you can show off in the digital world or just keep wrapped in its beautiful NFT case and never take out and just say, that's a first edition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was wondering what that would look like if you weren't trying to rip people off. And I wanted to throw this out there because I'm not well-versed in uh, NFTs, but I was wondering if, what if we released at the end of season one, which would do to a small audience, a lot of people who watch the podcast probably, uh, NFTs that were sold at cost. So we would make no money off the initial sale of the NFT. But potentially what that would do is get our biggest fans slightly more incentivized to like share or talk about this because it's like, you know, you basically own a tiny piece of equity in the value of this intellectual property. As mm-hmm. the value of the intellectual property goes up, so does your, you know, the ownership of that piece of digital artwork potentially gets a bit more valuable. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just a way to reward people without trying to set a high floor price and, and like extract value yeah. from the community. But how does that make me money? It doesn't. <laughs> no. It doesn't. And this, My- well, this is the promise of Web3 is that rather than having Facebook consolidate yeah. all the money, the money goes to the community and the you know, the community managers get some percentage of future sales of those NFT, which is 5 to 10% of the, the transaction. My actual question moving. is, how do you make sure it goes to fans and not speculative investors? Like one guy yeah. could come in yeah. and buy, okay, how many are you releasing? Let's, cost is what, 40 bucks? I don't know, whatever gas fees for... And it's 40 bucks and you're going to release 10 of them. Mm-hmm. 
And she goes, okay, cool. Thanks. I'm going to buy this for four. <laughs> yeah. yeah, seriously, I, I'm 400 bucks. Now I own every single first edition, mm -hmm. you know? So I, cause I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't want to even announce it on the podcast. I'd want to announce it in the middle of episode. Yeah. And I'm not going to say what number, but like, <laughs> so it's like, oh, you're an hour into a deep in the season episode before you even find out that it exists because, and limit it to one per person somehow. Cause I would want it to go to the person it's intended to, which sure. is a fan of the D and D show that wants a piece of art related to it and not to someone that, you know, owns a bunch of bored apes and now owns a monopoly on <laughs> the D and D shows NFTs. I don't think we're here technologically yet, but what I've heard people talk about that would be nice one day to do is like, if there was a tokenization of your interaction with the series, mm -hmm. meaning like every time you, and again, this is, you could still game incentives, but like when you comment, you earn a token, you know, and like, if it's not just a bunch of comments on one, which like that's, you can only get one token per episode or something like that. And it's based on the length of the comment or whatever, or, the, or, the, or if we, if we respond to you and go, wow, thank you for that comment. I understand some sort of complex algorithm yeah. in the future. That's not possible today that actually rewards the people who are engaging with the content. Who are truly yeah, engaging awesome. with the content of the community. And then you can go, okay, these NFTs don't cost dollars. They cost 10 D&D tokens. And only people that have 10 D&D tokens can yeah. even collect that NFT. That that seems like what, when people talk about how you could actually have fan, like this, this fan equity, that seems like how it would work. I just don't know that we're there yet. And I have the same fear as you, which is, Okay, guys, they're they're up, and then some guy goes, you know. Well, you could probably I own every I mean, NFT. Depending if you're only releasing twenty, you could probably just do it manually. You could probably you could just actually just be yeah. like, all right, people, like you know, we're gonna put mm -hmm. apply basically, yeah, and yeah. tell us your favorite scene, and we will only announce it in the middle of the season, mm -hmm. and then pick one at a time. Be like, you can buy, you know, there's twenty left. You get the first pick. Now there's nineteen left. You get the, and in that way, you could make sure they only go to individuals. Mm -hmm. but yeah, that would be if it's the, if the goal is make no money, get it to the fans. I'd want to make sure. It got to the fans. Sure. And not to just one person who's trying to buy NFTs and, because and, he thinks they'll be a moonshot investment. And to be clear, my my actual philosophy is not get it to the fans. My philosophy is the businesses that will win, especially in the future, are the businesses that appropriately pay the people who create value. Mm -hmm. And in the future, I think it's becoming obvious that the community has not been compensated for the value that they create that it has been captured by tech platforms and creators and the community who like tells their friends and spreads it and shows up deserves more than they get. And mm -hmm. that if you properly pay them, that they will do their job of spreading it even better. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I, there's, there's ways outside of NFTs that you can do that. You can, you know, you can be nice to people. You can have a discord where you interact with them. You can have a traditional fan hangout or something like that. Like there's other ways to do it outside of NFTs, but, um, I was thinking of that and also realizing, you know, people have talked about Andrew Tate and his business model. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know a ton about it. Uh, and I understand that it's not, I, I watched Spencer Cornelius video and he says he went in the course and it's not the only way that he talks about to make money. It is a way that he talks about to make money. So it's more traditional to, it's more akin to traditional affiliate marketing than multi-level marketing because there's only one level. Like you, if you take Andrew Tate's content, you chop it up and you sell somebody in, you get a kickback of that person's purchase. But if they sell someone, you don't. Mm -hmm. There's no multi-level to it, yeah, yeah. which is like, this has actually been going on for a long time, this traditional affiliate. And as long as he's not over-promising, which we, you can argue with him about, it's actually something that tons of business do and nobody really has a problem with and I don't think is wrong. Um, 
but there's other thoughts about that, which is like, yeah, can you, Critical Role has a ton of people that chop their stuff up on their own YouTube channel, get sometimes hundreds of thousands of views, can collect ad revenue. Can you promote that, let people do that? Like just give people a chance to earn off of promoting your community content, whatever. Yeah, I think for, I mean, especially for a D&D show, I think not, not copyright claiming any of your stuff makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Just let other people chop it up. The other thing I was thinking would be fun because NFTs to me, that's a digital space I don't currently live in. I, what would be fun is if you just sold merch at cost, literally made, because again, make no money, mm-hmm. but people who like yeah, certain yeah. characters can go wear, you know, they can wear a dog breath shirt. <laughs> they like the way his yeah, character yeah. is drawn. And then they're just out in the world with a shirt. And if someone else likes it, like, oh, that's a cool drawing. What is that? Now they're spreading the message. And that's fascinating. Merchandise that they got for cheaper than they could custom make it themselves mm. that we made no money off of. And that just is out in the world now looking cool. Because I think our character designs are cool. It's really interesting that you say that because I feel like this model of... this. Okay, so this happened. Uh, Tim Ferriss talks about this. There was, back in the early days of the internet, affiliate marketing was a thing. Like somebody would have a, an email list and somebody would have a product. And the person with the product would be like, if you can sell my product, I'll give you 20% of the profit mm-hmm. to these people. One guy, I forget who it was, was like, fuck that these people are providing way more value than they're being recognized for. I'm going to give them 50, 60, 75% of the profit if they right. make a sale. Yeah, so I'm like, hey, can you sell us for 100 bucks? I'll give yeah. you 20. And he comes up, he's my competitor. He says, yeah. hey, sell this for me. I'll give you $75. Yes, dominated. Yeah. And it was because he accurately realized that the actual value that was being created and like what you're suggesting is very similar. If it's a similar thesis, which is like- Well, I think so. If you're a billboard for my stuff- yeah. I don't want to charge you for that. <laughs> I, I, would ha- I would actually happily do this if you want to. I think some people build an audience first. The audience wants to compensate them. They mm-hmm. want to give Critical Role money. Critical Role doesn't really know how. So they sell shirts mm-hmm. as a way for the audience to give the money that they want to give them. But as a small show, I think, yeah, sell it at cost. Give people cool designs that they like. Mm-hmm. And then let them just go out into the world wearing stuff that points back to your show. Yeah. And I mean, some companies obviously have done this. They send out swag bags and they send it to targeted people. They send it to influencers and that kind of things. But they, it's an interesting thought, which is like someone wearing a shirt of your show, of your whatever. What is the actual dollar value of that advertisement? It might, it might be way too small. But well, it's not going to be lower than zero. So mm-hmm. as long as I, it just literally, here's how much it costs to make and ship. Yeah. I make zero. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Now if you now if anybody asks you about this ever, it's been a win-win. And if not, you have a shirt you like. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a, an interesting thought. Um, I don't want to say we'll definitely do that because I don't know enough about the economics of it, but that's I like that mentality generally of recognize the tremendous value that the community is bringing to your project. Because in the future, already, there's communities are a dime a dozen platforms are everywhere you can switch to true social right now if you want well, not, <laughs> you not know, communities like, are a dime a dozen community platforms are a dime a dozen the, com- the people in the community are very valuable sorry sorry and and Hosting. places and places that these people can hang out you can hang out with naruto you can hang out with this you can and obviously like the value of a good ip like seasons one through four of game of thrones <laughs> is you don't need to incentivize them you've already given them the story which is better than anything mm-hmm. but in a world where there's competitive stories like two fantastic stories what can push somebody over the edges um, having a great community. I think Critical Role has done an amazing job of that. I think that's actually a huge key to their success is that they find non-monetary ways to reward their community and engage with them. So, yeah. And they showed people's art. Yeah. People would send them fan art. And, and they now they would, get more and they more, would yeah. put it 
publish it yep. and give give the people credit. Yeah. People like that. Yeah. So they started making more fan art. Interesting. Interesting. So I've been thinking a lot about that this week just because we, we posted. I like the free merch idea. Thanks for watching, guys. Appreciate you. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What else? This one's just a funny one. You know, and you know, Dr. Andrew Huberman, right? Mm-mm. Yeah. You, you brought him to my attention. So have you heard of his NSDRs? He's pioneering an, a new idea in the scientific community. No. NSDRs. No, never heard. Stands for non-sleep deep rest. Something he thinks is very important. It's for helping people sleep. And it's basically a practice called yoga nidra that has existed in the East for a long time. It's not new and it's not scientific. He knew that people in Western culture, especially in the scientific communities that he hangs out in, would not like something called yoga nidra. So he just took the exact same thing, renamed it non-sleep deep rest, and then said, what do people in the scientific community love? They love acronyms, NSDRs. And he just packaged the exact same thing as NSDRs and it became way more palatable and now he's running with it. And so now there's NSDR apps and NSDR (laughs) YouTube videos. And I just love it. I think it's a really interesting little case study on what makes an idea feel acceptable to absorb into your ethos so to speak yeah i think there's a lot of people who don't want to do yoga nidra but will do dr humerman's nsdrs for better sleep well we should probably take that to heart when talking about psychedelics because it's certainly not the word psychedelic (laughs) you know what i mean like if you if you called it um you just have to look at whatever the depression pills called themselves for a long time and how they marketed themselves but psychedelic is a word that i see constantly i did a will smith video and whole video at the end of it i'm like things that can help you find trauma are this that holotropic breath or another thing and the conscious use of psychedelics and more than one is like was into the video until you recommended this it's you just can't yeah yeah people are terrified even people i know who have subsequently done psychedelic therapy are initially very scared They're like isn't this going to break my brain yeah i don't know this seems really intense and scary and not because it's illegal they're they're just afraid that they'll have an acid trip that they'll never recover from mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a big, by the way, these people have. will have no problem binge drinking, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, go out and throw back shots nonstop, uh, wake up, destroyed the next day and do it all over. I even do MDMA at a party and just yeah. not, not realize that that's what the psychedelic therapy was going to entail. Anyway, I don't want to mess with my brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, no, it's, it's, you're right that there's packages that are palatable and packages that are not. Mm-hmm. And psychedelics is not one of the most palatable packages. Yeah. I mean, this is the pharmaceutical industry is trying to figure out is there a way they can synthesize these things and then patent them but in addition to patenting them rename them you know so it's not it's not magic mushrooms or psilocybin it's now this new thing with this new name that's just a synthetic 
psilocybin. Yeah, called allegrex. You know, and yeah, yeah. Like find a Latin word for happy and then add an X on the end. <laughs> you've got your thing. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You get it. Yeah. You're hired. Uh, cool. What else you got? Let's take a look. Gander. <laughs> oh, so this is just something I knew, but I was just reminded of again the power of recording yourself if you're trying to learn a skill. So I. We knew this for charisma and we would watch each other and be the video camera for each other when we were learning and then tell, hey, I think you're doing this. I think you're doing this. But I've been surfing for six years and just last week was the first time I had someone record me surfing and I instantly picked up three habits that I'm sure I've done forever that I was never going to catch that will immediately make me have more fun and catch more waves and surf better. Mm. And so I was just thinking, what... It, why isn't that the initial instinct for anyone trying to learn a skill? Basically, if you're trying to get better at basketball or become more charismatic, everything, like even playing music or singing, like why don't, why isn't the first instinct if you're trying to learn something to record yourself? Oh, it's because there's one, we grew up without cameras everywhere. That's why. But also musicians do because you are closer to your computer and your phone when you do it and you're less close. It's like- I actually bet most people don't though. You think most people that are trying to learn guitar- record themselves or learn to sing better, record themselves and listen Way back to Way higher it. than do surfing or basketball, for sure. I mean, I, I, like, I've done a lot of things. I played basketball probably, you know, a lot when I was little. Yeah. I've recorded my guitars. I've recorded I singing. think most people are too embarrassed to, to watch it. That was my I, thesis. I know a lot of people that, that play music. It's just, I'm not saying they all do, but the number is way higher because of access to your phone yeah. and ease of like you turn it on, put it down and, and do it. Uh, what they don't necessarily do is like video record it. Like they can't, I don't know my picking issues. I know sound issues yeah. necessarily, but Isn't I don't. Isn't that interesting? You've been playing guitar for 20 years? I, and I've recorded it for Instagram, but I've never recorded it for myself to watch picking technique or yeah. if my wrist is tilted in a funky way or. I think it's a really underrated or underused tool. Mm -hmm. Like I, was, I, did a, I did a cage fight. It was the first time I ever saw myself shoot a takedown was yeah. afterwards that's insane anybody who's doing that should be doing that once a week so that yeah. they can you know what i mean and it, i was just wondering where else is this applicable and i thought of tons of things if you're doing interviews or public speaking any sport or mm -hmm. you know it's it's just really i don't know just thought it was interesting i'm gonna try to think about it as i try to get better at things again D D. I wish i had watched more before we played more of our early recordings before we played laters so yeah just something i'm i'm doing myself that thought people might Hearing it might catalyze in themselves. Oh yeah, I have been pursuing this and I do want to get better at this and I've never seen myself do it yeah. once in my life. Well, like, you know, charisma is hard. You're out at like those types of things are tricky. But yeah, you have the, you've probably watched people surf or talk in conversation or shoot a basketball thousands of times. Mm -hmm. And so you know what a good shot looks like. But when you're in your first person experience, it's all kinetic and, yeah. the, and the visual is totally different. So the first time you see yourself, it's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not pulling my hand back far enough or my elbow's flared. It's so obvious. Like yeah. I, but I, what I'm doing, I can't see my flared elbow. No, like, no, it's wild. Or I look too serious. Yeah, yeah. I look too serious in this job interview, D&D yeah. show, whatever yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. So blew my mind. I was instantly ashamed <laughs> of what I look like surfing. And I went, oh, this is a great tool. I'm going to just let people know about it. Cool. Uh, the last one that I have, well, I have one that's funny. I have literally no takeaway. I just thought it was funny. Trump released an official statement on August 12th. It read... President Barack Hussein Obama mm. kept 33 million pages of documents, mm. much of them classified. How many of them pertain to nuclear? Word is lots. Word is. And I really thought word is lots was a really funny thing <laughs> for an ex-president to tweet about nuclear secrets. And I just want to know word from whom. 
Yeah. And I have no, I have nothing else except for I saw that and just went, that's hilarious to me. So there's, I was thinking about this with Andrew Tate, with Trump. There is a growing, it's probably existed for a long time, but there is a type that is so consistently over the top Mm -hmm. with a sense of humor a lot of the times um, that they are not held to the same standard of being sincere or telling the truth that other people are, and it doesn't count against them. By their fans. By their fans. Yeah. It's a good caveat. Yeah, by their fans. But also, it's less hard Like it's less hard for them to get fans because mm-hmm. if Trump lied less often, considerably less often, I think it would be a bigger problem for him because it would stick out more. Yeah, 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 <laughs> you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And He's just someone that even, we go, yeah, we follow him even though he lies. Or- even me, when people get upset with him, I'm like, come on. I mean, what do you – he's been very clear about – He's like, yeah, to you, he, it's like his he, words, words are not intended to convey a uh, reliable source of information about the world around you. They are, they are vehicles for feelings that he has. Uh, so stop you, treating you them as otherwise. People like Tate and Trump, they get viewed like the parable of the scorpion and the frog, basically, where people, where you, you just go, yeah, of course the scorpion stung you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, spoiler, buyer beware. Spoiler if you didn't know the parable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's almost, <laughs> years old. and I'm not saying this is a good thing to be clear. I'm just saying that I notice it, that yeah. there's these types that uh, do very well when it's like buyer beware. If you get scammed by that person with their fifth or sixth crypto thing, it's like, nobody's even mad at them. This person constantly scams, but you scam one time. Dan Bilzerian, if Dan Bilzerian is a misogynist or, th- or does something bad yeah, yeah. or, you know, even like throws a girl off a building and breaks her, she breaks her ankle, but she signed up for it. It's the story, but uh, nobody cares yep. because he has been so clear about those flaws versus somebody who is way less flawed that does something like that. You know, it's a it's a huge issue. Yeah. And I think of uh, whatever Will Smith slapping was a shock. You know, there's other people who probably would have been a way less big deal that were in that audience. Well, they probably don't get invited to the Oscars if they're <laughs> habitual slappers. Uh, there's somebody out there. I wonder if I wonder if Kanye had done it or something like that, if it wouldn't have died down and it would have hurt his career less yeah. and it hurt Will Smith. That's fair. I think yeah. would have made the news, but would be less impactful to yeah. his future earnings. And to his fans. That's totally yeah. fair, I think. Yeah. So that's all. Nice. And then I have one more thing about performative. You know, we always talk about performative stuff, whether it's, Posting the black square, but doing nothing about mm-hmm. BLM or going out and taking a photo of yourself cleaning up after a riot, but you're not actually cleaning up. You just take the photo and leave. Yeah. So the new performative thing I saw was, have you seen uh, high school check-in lines for gun safety? No. It's, they have a bunch of the, they have all the kids before they can go into the building, line up outside of the school so that they can get their bag checked. And then they go through a metal detector and then they're in the school. And that way you can see if they have a handgun or a weapon or whatever. The result is a massive line of high schoolers outside of the building waiting to check in. (laughs) Which if your goal is to shoot up a bunch of kids because you're an angry high school kid, you don't even have to leave your car now. They've kept them out of the classrooms and gathered them in front of the building for you. In an open area. (laughs) Just a wide open line. You can kind of just pull up, do your school shooting. Get out of there. It's... it's, I'm like, what? this is for safety Yeah, because someone might want to shoot these kids. Mm -hmm. So let's put them all in the open 
in a line at the same time every day. Without a wall in between any of them. Without yeah. a wall, without locked doors, without nothing. What is this for? Yeah, yeah. Like, and so, yeah, I just thought that was fascinating. It's happening. It's I don't know why it's happening. It's happening so school districts can say to the parents that they're taking safety seriously. But it is. it seems, from what I've seen, like the opposite of helping the situation. And yet people are doing it because somehow the performance is important. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting now that I think about it. Like if you're a person and you have an automatic or semi-automatic or whatever, you know, it's a bump stock and it's technically, I don't even know the rules, but you have a high-powered weapon. There are just so many places that you can go to find groups of people and kill 20 plus. There's Well, these are kids that want to kill the kids at their school, let's say, because yeah, they're angry at the kids specifically. Yeah. You know, they find now it doesn't seem like they're pretty targeted. It seems like once they get in there, most school shootings just become mm-hmm. whoever's around. But I think there's an anger at their peers. Mm-hmm. So they don't. So they're going to go to their peers. Yeah. But maybe not. I mean, Uvalde was a high school person shooting up an elementary school. Yeah. So maybe even that's not Could've true. Could have gone to a mall. Could have yeah. gone to a, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It seems like lining up all the kids in a row outside at the same time every day isn't the solution. I don't know what the solution is. But it's not that. Sounds reasonable. That's it. That's all I got for today. Cool. What do we got? Any questions, Justin? Yep. So the question today is, I graduated as a social worker in the Netherlands in 2020. Congrats. After graduating, I immediately found a job and was able to work right away in a really social work oriented organization. I loved my job, but due to budgets being cut, they had to let me go. I wasn't worried since I figured I would find a job soon enough. However, I had to settle for a job I didn't like just to have a steady income. Last year, I got a tip from somebody I used to work with who works for an organization that rents social houses. I applied and got the job last November, and though I wasn't familiar in that field of work, I was told I would get the gist of it and that my social work expertise would come in handy. I was very happy, and the pay was great. However, I get criticized a lot by the same person who tipped me and is now a manager. At first, I figured that I'm getting feedback since I have a lot to learn, but over the course of a few months, I have the feeling that she became more and more frustrated because I'm not growing as fast as she wants. I'm really trying since I love the job, but I've always been a slow learner. Now we have reached the point that if I don't improve by her standards, they'll have to let me go and I will have to look for my fourth job in two years. I feel hopeless and my self-esteem has hit rock bottom after receiving much negative feedback and barely any positive feedback. Most of the time the feedback is deserved, but I also get blamed for things that I couldn't know or didn't do. I also started to get frustrated by the double standards and hypocrisy that other colleagues get away with, but I get scolded at. Deep down, I don't think she's a bad person, but that she needs to grow in her role as a manager, just like I need to grow in my role. This also started to affect my mood when I'm at home or alone with my girlfriend. Uh, I feel very tired and useless, especially when I'm home alone. I feel like lying down and not getting up unless it's time for bed. Long story short, how can I improve my work drive and fit into this role? And how can I, in the meantime, make sure the feedback doesn't affect me as much as it does now on an emotional level? Hmm. It's tough because, I mean, obviously I'm not there. I don't know. There's People do need to be fired from jobs that they're not doing well. They do need to learn fast enough. It doesn't mean that they're evil or bad people or that they can't find somewhere where they're very valuable. But Yeah, yeah. this isn't meant to be pejorative, but some people are just bad fits for certain positions and Mm -hmm. then go into other positions at other companies or other roles at the same company and they flourish. Mm -hmm. So I think the best thing you could do is remove your job performance in this specific role at this specific company from your identity, which is easier said than done. And recognize it's not that you're worthless. It's not that you're bad at stuff. It's that potentially this isn't a good fit for your Mm -hmm. strengths. Maybe this isn't how you shine. 
maybe it is. Maybe your manager's mean. Maybe you. Maybe we can talk about tactics for learning faster. But I do think I've seen people who are great, smart, likable, but just in certain roles, they do not shine. Mm-hmm. And you're young, so you're learning your strengths and weaknesses mm-hmm. still. It's not super obvious to you. But like, I can tell you there's, I only had one uh, post-college job, but there were, yeah, parts of it which I was not very good at. You know, I was good enough at the stuff that made everybody think <laughs> that I was a valuable mm-hmm. employee. Um, so what would I recommend? Probably I would try to do, given that you say this is your fourth job in two years, I would try to remain at this job. And I would do that if you haven't by getting clear, if you haven't with your manager about what exactly needs to happen for her to be happy with your work. Like, are there measurable types of things an amount of work that needs to be done in an amount of time, an acceptable number of mistakes, uh, whatever, uh, so that you're very, very clear on, so that it's not amorphous in your mind that you're just being bad at stuff, but that you know specifically. Um, And then, yeah, you're going to have to, it sounds like, make adjustments to try to double check your work or I don't know exactly what you're failing at in these roles. Um, But yeah, that's, I I can't, I don't know if your manager is a crappy manager, but I, that's not what I would focus on because if your manager is a crappy manager, it's not your role as the person beneath them to get them to change and you guys grow together. It's probably your job to go find a better fit at a different company with that, without that manager or a different role within the same company without that manager. Um, you know, of course, there's time for performance feedback, which might be 360, and you get to give some of that. But I don't think that focusing on what your manager can do better is the highest, like, power for you to take in order to yeah. control your own emotions in life. Uh, since you said that you, there has been a lot of feedback that's been negative and has been fair, uh, and you feel like you're growing slower than they would like, I would suggest don't try to do more of the same. So if you've been trying really hard to not make mistakes, trying really hard, hard, harder to not make mistakes is not going to work. What you need is some sort of systemic change. So for instance, doctors back in the day were forgetting to wash their hands, no matter how hard they'd try to remember, even though they're really, really smart. And so people were getting infections and stuff like that. So they, they started having checklists that they would have that would idiot proof their process. And they I think to make a physical mark on a sheet of paper before they that said, I wash my hands, which sounds very juvenile. It sounds like something you'd have a seven year old do, but it helped save lives and have cut down on infections. They do this for airplane safety as well. You've done a thousand flights. It all seems obvious. Oops, you forget one thing now plane crashes. Mm-hmm. And so they have these, what seem like very obvious checklists. So what you might want to do if this fits your job and you've been making more mistakes than normal or than acceptable is, is there a way I can create a checklist that will somehow help me? Another thing you could do is if you're working too slow, is there a way to assembly line this or batch this? Like you need a new way to solve the problem besides just trying harder because it will feel impossible and it won't work if your only solution is dig deep, try harder. So one thing you could do that may actually end up with you producing more in less time is having batched work where you are 100% focused. So your cell phone is off. You're not talking to colleagues. You're not texting when you have downtime. You're just in it Pomodoro style until a timer goes off. It's also social work. So it might be with people. I I actually don't know a lot. Sure, sure. I'm just saying like that's an example of 
not just trying to not get distracted. It's a systemic change. Using systems. I would would suggest that you use systems or create tools to help you Mm -hmm. because that is in my, I think that's your best chance to succeed. Patreon. Patreon. Cool, Let's do it. About? What do we got? Uh, we're going to talk about if people tend to date within similar socioeconomics, if you can do MDMA therapy with somebody else, such as a girlfriend, or if it's better to do it alone, and then how to maximize fun while traveling. Nice. Great. I can answer those. <laughs> if you guys want to join us on our Patreon, it keeps the podcast going. It's like the lifeblood of the podcast. Any dollar amount starting at $3 a month gets you access to not just this, but every Patreon we've done, which is a ton more stuff for you guys to listen to. And watch. We've got the videos up there as well. So appreciate all of our patrons. Appreciate all you guys who watch and hope that you guys decide to check out the Patreon. Link is in the description below. Yes. Because I've had people say, I want to join your Patreon. I don't know how. It's in the description on Link YouTube Link in the description below. below. And it's patreon.com slash charisma on command. Charisma on command. All right. We'll see the rest of you guys over there. Peace. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.